name is Max. to the Mad Max Minute, where proper introductions are long overdue in Mad Max Fury Road, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 109, which begins with Max preparing his phlebotomy kit, and it ends with Max telling Furiosa that his name isn't Fool. Happy Monday, Rick. Good morning, Julia. I realized something. Last Friday, when we hit Minute 108, we had officially past the threshold of the longest time we had ever spent with a single Mad Max movie. All right. Thunderdome was holding the trophy until Fury Road came along and blew it out of the water, going straight from 107 to 120. Oh, for sure. If this was last season, we would literally be done by now. Hmm. What was that for? Hmm. (laughs) A movie feels really long when you analyze it this way. Yeah. Well... Remember when we had Norman and Cassandra on? Their movies are a lot longer Oof, than yeah. 120 minutes. They're in the 200 range. Can you imagine doing another 80, 90 some odd episodes after this? I sure can't. No. <laughs> but then again, I think I at one point joked about doing the three-hour cut of Waterworld. But I don't know if I'm bold enough to do that one on my own. Crazy enough. <laughs> I would need a specified team <laughs> to get together in Ocean's Eleven, that stuff. But anyway, this is the first time we've had a week with just the two of us in a while. And usually when that happens, I go back and listen to back episodes of the You Are Awaited podcast. I had five of those to catch up on. And so today I mainlined five episodes in a row of Yuri and Travis talking about Mad Max Fury Road four minutes at a time. And let me tell you, that was a lot. (laughs) Did you learn anything new? Well, I didn't take notes this time around because, as I mentioned, five episodes. But I did kick myself when Max pulled the harpoon dart thing out of his hand. That was the second time that a foreign body had been removed from a human appendage via a car door. Ah, yes. I didn't even think of Pig Killer the first time we watched it. Missed that parallel. (laughs) One instance was a big old harpoon thing getting pulled out of a leg. The other one was a small dart getting popped out of a hand. I could see how we wouldn't think of it. The parallel with that that I do like, something that those two instances do have in common, is... The cleverness. With Pig Killer, it was the count to three and he went on one. (laughs) The element of surprise that made the door thing more effective. And also using opening the door to pull it out of his leg. Yeah. Cleverness there. And then here, Max smacking his hand against the door to do most of the work of pushing the bolt back through. Mm -hmm. Also, clever use of door. Another thing that I'm really kicking myself for not noticing sooner. And I think what happened in this instance is that we got caught up on other stuff. When Furiosa says, remember me, 
what is the one thing that Toe Cutter was always saying back in the first movie? Remember me when you look at the or Knight Rider? Or, remember the Knight Rider. Yeah, remember the Knight Rider. Sorry, I butchered that. <laughs> the more that we dig into this movie, the more little parallels like that that we find. And I think it's two things. One, that's what George Miller set it up like. He had lots of leftover ideas, things he wanted to do, things he wanted to communicate that he'd been gathering over the course of 20, 30 years that he threw in this movie. And also, we are looking really, really hard for parallels. So even ones that aren't there on purpose, we catch Mm -hmm. and we see because we're looking. I think that's called grasping at straws. Yeah, that's what we do here at the Mad Max Minute. Mm -hmm. Another thing that we overlooked, although we might have also mentioned it, when the dad was praying to whoever would listen, Yuri and Travis pointed out that the only deity that they'd ever known was Immortan Joe, who set him up as a god king. And so it was probably not so much that they had books of religious learning in the harem. It's just that the Dag didn't know any other deities to pray to, which is why she was talking about anyone that would listen. It's interesting that she had any concept at all that there may be other deities out there besides Joe. If she was raised with this religion, this cult of the V8, she very well could have been raised with the idea that there is nothing else. Nobody else believes anything else. And since this is not an interconnected world like we have, we, with our internet and podcasts, get to hear lots of different ideas. And we get to know about lots of different deities and systems of worship. They do not have that in this world. So I'm surprised that she was able to think outside the box. I think that may say something to the nature of humanity. We want to believe in a higher power. We want to believe in a creator. We want to believe in something, something more than just us. It's a bit of human nature to go, okay, what's out there? beyond me and my little world. So she just assumed there's got to be something more. So I'm going to pray to it. And suddenly all I can think of is that one song from Muppet Treasure Island, how there's got to be something better than this. (laughs) There's got to be something out there to see because she knows this life she's living can't be her destiny. It always comes back to Muppet Treasure Island, doesn't it? It really does. It's hard not to. (laughs) But anyway, getting into the minute proper, minute 109, begins with Max pulling the rubber tubing and the needle from his jacket and harness thing, and he hands all of this to the Dag. He is getting ready to solve the problem of Furiosa's exsanguination. He does a good job, I think, of making us think he knows what he's doing. Well, that's the secret. If everybody thinks that you know what you're doing, chances are they'll let you keep doing it. Yeah, chances are you get to stick needles in people's arms. I don't want to talk about any specifics, but I did see a couple of headlines lately of people going to third world countries and behaving like doctors, doing operations and things like that because they were here in this country and 
they believed that they could do it and it ended up killing people. Yeah. I'm not saying this is that exact situation, but we are dealing with a blood transfusion, which is fairly delicate work. It is. And I think Max does a good job conveying that he's not just stabbing it into her arm. There's a process. He has scooped up the dag as an assistant. Mm -hmm. Here, hold this, hand me the needle, hold this up. It's really well done, (laughs) (laughs) make-believe. That does not excuse the fact that it just doesn't work this way. Now, I actually got held up a little bit on the rubber tubing itself. Now, he has had this rubber tubing wrapped up on his harness thing that he's wearing over his jacket for a while now. And I, for the longest time, thought that that was the rubber tubing from the chain at the beginning of the movie. But it's not. You know what? That makes a lot of sense to me because I saw a picture of an extra Imperator and he had the exact same tubing thing on his shoulder. Mm-hmm. So I think it's part of the uniform. The harness that he's wearing, he's been wearing it since minute 75 when he got back from the Peacemaker. If you roll back from minute 75 to minute 71, right around 17 seconds, it's that shot where the flare is being held in front of the bullet farmer from the bullet farm's face. And right behind him is an Imperator wearing the same harness that Max has been wearing since minute 75. And he's got the tubing wrapped up in that same exact spot. He pulled this harness right off of the Imperator. So the picture of the extra I saw, I was doing some research for Wednesday and Friday's minutes, and I was doing a little bit of light digging on the war pups. And I came across a stuntman and an extra. He played background Imperators. His name is Greg Van Borsum. Mm -hmm. And there's a picture of him. He's wearing that harness. And I think it's the same one. So I think this guy is your guy from the Bullet Farmer. So what I found out was that his son is one of the war pups. Okay. Like bring your kid to work day. Yeah. So what we're saying is that the tubing is fresh and clean is a strong word, but it's not full of dried blood, which Max's tube would be. It also makes sense that it would come from someone who is working with the bullet farmer, because if you are dealing with people who are shooting bullets and one would assume being shot at, you run a very high risk of needing to move blood around. So this Imperator from the Peacemaker, do you think he is trained to do transfusions? About as trained as anybody could be in this situation. I'm talking about old books, maybe. I wouldn't say he has any clinical training. Well, I don't know about that. Imagine that you are an Imperator with some level of medical supplies on your person, and you are on the Peacemaker with the Bullet Farmer, who is top-notch right up there. I suspect that he is there with medical supplies specifically for the bullet farmer to make sure that he can care for the bullet farmer. And also that he has the training at the expense of expendable war boys to actually do successful blood transfusions on the move. I'm saying that he was trained on live subjects, whether or not he was successful. That's kind of what I was getting at with a trained about as much as anybody can be in a wasteland. 
Most of it's practice, I would think. The institution where I work has a phlebotomy program. Like they have a lot of ways to teach people how to draw blood. I am very much convinced of your method of training more so than anything that you'd get in a modern training situation. (laughs) The hands-on approach that you're suggesting, much more viable. Yeah. Human test subjects. (laughs) Noticing that this tubing is not Max's tubing put me on a bit of a hunt for that original tube. Where did it go? So I went all the way back to the fight with Furiosa because when Max gets his chain clipped, the tube stays with Nux. Nux doesn't fish it out or anything like that. And as you follow Nux in the subsequent scenes, up to the point where he's on top of the tanker about to shoot Furiosa in the back of the head, you can see the tube still running through that chain when it gets caught in the grate. And it's even there up to the point when Capable cuts the chain. So the tube was left behind with the chain at the tree. Okay, So at the time that we left the chain behind at the tree, we made remarks on the character arc, per se, (laughs) that the chain got. The tube was right there along for the ride, wherever the chain was. And we neglected it. Ooh. What a shame. Shame on us. Tisk tisk. (laughs) But getting back at the matter of hand, Furiosa has lost a lot of blood. Max has drafted the dag into service as his nurse because he is... Moving things all around. He's unwrapping the tube. He's putting the needle in his mouth so he can work on this. Melita is there softly shaking Furiosa, encouraging her to hold on. And Max instructs the wives that they need to keep Furiosa awake. And so Capable is the one that leans over the seat and says, Oh, hey, Furiosa, wake up. Capable once again filling the role of caretaker in time of need. Yes, because for a second time in this movie, she has lost her charge and she needs someone else to take care of. And this brings us to the centerpiece of this minute, which is Max performing the blood fusion. Now, after we were done recording with Porter and Jenny the other week, we found out that Jenny had actually been trained by the U.S. Army on how to do stuff like this. So we recorded a little snippet with them. Do you want to listen to that now? I do. Okay, let me cue that up. Okay, so we just finished recording, what was it, week 35, and we still got Jenny and Porter here. So we're here watching minute 109. Okay, this is something that really just pissed me off. So in my early life, I was a medic in the army. So not only am I trained to do IVs, but I'm trained to do IVs in the field in this exact kind of scenario. And in my training, we had to like learn how to give IVs in the dark, learn how to give IVs in the back of a moving car, like et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I understand that you can't follow universal precautions like gloves and shit like that. That's all out the window. I'm sorry, I swear, but I'm bad. Okay. <laughs> But here is the thing that ticks me off. At no point did he look for a vein. <laughs> like, nothing. He didn't even feel it. He didn't, he didn't probe it. Nothing. The best medic in the world, the best doctor in the world, can't just, like, pop a needle in your arm and just be like, yep, got it. 
if that happened and he didn't check it, all that means is her arm would balloon up because the blood would just be floating around in her arm because it is not going in a vein. None of that is going in a vein. Well, you missed it. He nailed his own arm on the first try. Which is slightly easier to do because you do get to know where your veins are. I know this because I used to snag supplies from my emergency room that I used to work at. And I would get IVs and saline solution and all the other jazz. And then I would get really drunk. And then I would give myself an IV so that I could like duct tape the saline to the wall. And then I wouldn't be hung over in the morning. And it was the greatest trick. So I knew how to find the veins in my hand completely smashed. So the idea that Max knows where his veins are, fine, I accept that. But you don't blind dart stick someone in the arm and be like, nailed it, got it. That's not how transfusions work. Look at him, he just like goes in. There's no vein. You you don't see vein. Uh, it's not how any of this works. That's not how any of this works. Do they have like magic, like vein finding needles in the future? Is that what's happening? Because if that's happening, great. Also, there's no catheter. So that that needle is just like coated in a tube of some sort, which would mean that the needle wouldn't be able to puncture the skin if it's got the tubing around. That's I went on like this for a really long time. But that's that's what I have to say about this transfusion. It would not work. This is not how transfusions work. I do not understand how this works. That is my rant on transfusions on the road. Thanks, Jenny. You're very welcome. (laughs) Now back to our regularly scheduled program. (laughs) So that was a pretty scathing indictment of this scene from our resident phlebotomy expert. It is, and I definitely appreciate a experienced point of view on this. (laughs) I think most people watching the movie, unless they're just glossing over it, which plenty of people do just gloss over it, no problem there. But I think lots of people saw this and were like, "Ah, no, no, no. (laughs) It doesn't work that way. Because it's so obvious that it doesn't work that way. Mm. That he's not putting enough effort into it. So it's nice to be validated in that observation. I don't think that... We needed an extended instance of Max poking at Furiosa's arm, looking for veins and guiding the needle in or anything like that. But it wouldn't have hurt if he at least poked at her arm a little bit before just going for it with the needle. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because that needle was frankly very huge. It was. And every time I get blood drawn, they do the rubber tourniquet thing on your mid upper arm that hurts like hell. I think it's to get the vein to, like, be more obvious, to be bigger. Yeah. So that they can see it and work with it. I think he could have at least put a tourniquet on her arm. Wrap something around it. Yeah. Now, I did a little bit of reading about blood transfusions. Now, fun facts. Piercing a blood vessel with the intent of drawing out the blood is called a venipuncture. Also, in the U.S., a phlebotomist can become nationally certified through many different organizations— And to qualify to sit for an examination, candidates must complete a full phlebotomy course and provide documentation of clinical or laboratory experience. In Australia, there are a number of courses in phlebotomy offered by educational institutions, but training is typically provided on the job. 
The minimum primary qualification for phlebotomists in Australia is a Certificate 3 in Pathology Collection from an approved educational institution. That reminds me of the TV show ER. Okay. From way back in the day. There was an... I don't think she was an intern. I think she was like a brand new fresh resident in the ER who it had been so long since she'd done phlebotomy and she was so inexperienced at it that she didn't have the confidence to just do it. So the head nurse, the one who was there the whole time, nurse, can't remember her name, gosh, with the brown curly hair. Anywho, so the nurse kept swooping in and doing the IVs for the doctor, and the doctor was getting the credit for them. Mm. And so the nurse had to like have a conversation with the doctor, like, no, 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 you have to do this. You can't just coast along and expect the nurses to always do your IVs for you. You have to be able to do this. Practice and experience. And I don't know, maybe Max has that. He certainly acts like he does. He goes at it with confidence. Mm -hmm. We were never told what kind of first aid training he got back in the MFP. Nope, we were not. Now, you've been reading the novelization of the original Mad Max. Mm -hmm. Any talk about what types of training or more training? Nothing at all. All right. One of Jenny's main concerns was Max missing Furiosa's vein and feeding blood directly into the surrounding tissue in her arm. From what I was able to find, thanks to RN.com, this is called infiltration and is caused by several circumstances. The website describes it thusly. IV infiltration is one of the most common problems that can occur when fluid infuses into the tissues surrounding the venipuncture site. This sometimes happens when the tip of the catheter slips out of the vein, the catheter passes through the wall of the vein, or the blood vessel wall allows part of the fluid to infuse into the surrounding tissue. That just sounds awful. You don't like needles to begin with? No, I don't. I've gotten more comfortable with getting blood drawn. Mm -hmm. Just <laughs> practice. I've had to do it a lot. So I can handle that now, but that's really the extent. I have to look away for the actual puncture, but I can look at the needle in my arm, and I'm okay with that. I'm in pretty much the same boat as far as I don't want to watch the needle go into my arm, but once it's in my arm, I'm okay to look at it from there. Mm -hmm. Just a tiny bit more comfortable once it's actually in there. Yeah, and I find myself in the same boat watching this minute while Max is putting it first in his own arm and then in Furios's arm. I look away for those moments, but once we see the stuff in there, blood flowing, I'm fine with that. You know what's really bothersome about this minute? How big the needles are. Oh, they're ginormous. They are massive. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and once Max has the blood flowing, the dag was really helpful by holding up the tube so that way he didn't get any air trapped in there. He got it in the arm. The blood started flowing. And as we see Max looking for signs of life in Furiosa's face around second 42, I get the sense that Max has done all that he knows how to do. And now he finds himself at a loss of what to do next. All they can really do is sit and wait at this point. Yeah, which Max doesn't really seem very comfortable with. He's a man of action. And it's not that he can't 
sit and wait and let something happen. It's just that he's been go, go, go for quite some time. So to stop now is kind of a letdown. Yeah. (laughs) He wants to keep working. And what he does next, I guess you could say we expected him to do this a bit sooner, but really based on his track record, I wouldn't say that he necessarily goes around introducing himself all that much, but he looks down at Furiosa and he says, Max, my name is Max. What do you think of that? I think that he is afraid of her dying and is trying to complete their relationship before she does. That if she died without knowing his name, their partnership would be incomplete. It would be unfinished. So he has done everything he can for her. The likelihood of her dying is still, I think, incredibly high. Honestly, I don't think she should have survived this movie (laughs) with her injuries and the state that she's in right now. Yeah. So Max is tying up this loose end that they have had for quite some time. I think I've said it before. There's a lot of power in a name. And so after fixing the collapsed lung situation and giving her blood, there's nothing else he can do but invoke those fairy princess powers. Let her know his name. See if that (laughs) helps any. And in the last several frames of this minute, we get a quick shot of Furiosa just lying there with her eyes closed. I'm not going to talk more about that because that's how we're going to open up Wednesday's Minute. So be sure to come back for that, as well as another fade to black. We get to see the Giga Horse return to the Citadel, and the elevator operators are going to get squirrely. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for MadMaxMinute, and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, where you can see what's in our Tee Public store, join our Patreon, or even donate to the show to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 109 of Fury Road. We'll see you next time. <laughs>